The following panel discussion was recorded on Sunday, August 6th at Man Bites Dog Theater in downtown Durham as part of an event titled Yes and No, Allies in Comedy. The event was organized by Meddlesome and co-sponsored by Comedy Works, Eyes Up Here Comedy Showcase, Moonlight Stage Company, The Lufa, Transactors, and Wild Mind Improv. Before the panel began, Dr. Gail Stern from Catharsis Productions based in Chicago, Illinois, gave a presentation of The Canary in the Coal Mine, What Rape Jokes Signal About Our Culture. For more information on Dr. Stern or Canary in the Coal Mine, visit www.catharsisproductions.com. The panel you're about to hear took place after intermission. Chicago and what happened in Chicago and LA in terms of the entire community nationally waking up to sexual harassment and misogyny and improv. Uh, for me, I, I hate to say it, but it took me by surprise. I didn't 
connect with the story that improvisers younger than I am were telling. So it's been, the last two years have been an educational process for me of, of improvisers speaking up and then as a, as a person who co-manages an improv theater, having to uh, draft policy, put it in place, act on it, conduct sexual harassment investigations of your friends <laughs> and, and make consequences for sexual harassment. We were lucky to have partnership with Fair Play and the leadership team of Fair Play that helps make it, have <laughs> make it less lonely and terrible. Uh, but it's been lonely and terrible. Um, and but uh, so yeah, that's 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 why I'm here to share the the terror with you. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. So after Chicago, um, a, a big group of Minneapolis um, female improvisers got together and kind of talked about things that they had experienced, and we created a document called the State of Things document that we published online and. Um, from that, then a, a leadership team was born, out, and we called ourselves Fair Play. We had five people, then we had seven, and now we have six. So it's like um, always moving. But we have like a anonymous reporting system, so that Fair Play can come go to theaters and be like, "Hey, we got a report about someone. Um, you might, as a theater, want to look into this." Um, so that person who was um, victimized or survivor, however they want to identify. Can, they can tell us how they want us to go forward. We don't always go to the theaters. Depends on what that person wants to do. And then we've, we also have like workshops and you know try to create those spaces and create just a general uh, community awareness, raising community awareness in Minneapolis. So, yeah. Awesome. So first I want to say thank you to Gail and for Metal Sim and all the supporters who made this possible today. Um, I'm coming into this not oh, as a newer improviser, but also as a longtime th theater person, and also as a queer black woman into this space. So like the intersectionality of what that means. So it's really hard for me to separate sometimes what is racist and what is sexist and what is a conglomeration of all of those things. So um, I'm entering from both trying to figure out um, how do we create spaces in which people can be held fully and that we can challenge all of the isms that are always enacted on us at the same damn time. Um, so that's me. <laughs> um, I'm Ashley Popio, founder of the Women's Theater Festival. The Women's Theater Festival was created because only 20% of the scripted works that you see performed in the United States are written by women, which means that one in five things that you heard said on the stage were written by a man, which means we're only getting heard <laughs> one in five times. Um, one of the reasons why I think it's easy for women to be discounted is because we are not being heard, our stories are not being told. If you're invisible, nobody cares what happens to you. So I'm here to fight that. Um, the Women's Theater Festival and um, North Carolina State University and Duke are partnering to create a study that documents the gender equity or disequity as it may be in the theatrical community in the past six years. When you come to them with numbers, it's hard for them to fight you. Because, for example, there's a particular theater in this region who has produced 93% male written works in the past six years. And of the two works that they did produce that were written by female, they were both written by a female board member on that theater. If we can go to them with those kinds of numbers, we might be able to see some change. I think you know how I enter. <laughs> <laughs> 
tired and parched at this point. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to kind of book in the questions. Um, some are about kind of society at large, some are about more specifically improv communities. But I want to start with just how do you think the current model of both comedy as a craft and comedy as a business could be restructured to further avoid predatory or unwelcome behavior? Well, I'll take that. Oh, no. <laughs> there need to be more women in decision-making positions. There need to be more women in positions of power. There need to be more women in every room that has people in it. The more women that there are in a room, the less likely it is that one woman will be victimized. There is power in numbers. One of the easiest things, I say easiest, I'm mean, laughing because that's not easy. It's really hard to do to combat this problem is to make sure that women aren't isolated there's power in numbers, and if we put women on boards of theaters, of comedy clubs, of um, improv troops, if there are enough women in the room, the culture shifts. And I would broaden that to say women, people of color, people with disabilities, people over age 25, <laughs> or anything we can do to stretch out who's in improv. And really practically, we've restructured our improv curriculum uh, our, now our improv classes include a boundaries discussion at the start of every class and at the end of the class the class ends with a check-in to see how everybody feels about what happened today that's part of every class we teach now and it wasn't it and I, I tell you the first I keep telling people the first time I did a boundaries discussion in an improv class it was the clunkiest most awkward thing you've ever heard. I didn't know how to say it before it came out of my mouth, but we do it every semester, and every semester it gets easier. And because improv generations are so quick, there are people who are improvisers performing now who have never not had a boundaries discussion be part of the way that they work. That's a small change. You also have to have policy and hiring practices in place and not pieces of paper tucked in a drawer, working, living policy documents that are in large posters on your wall so that people can read them and see them. And there have to be consequences that, that are visible. If someone speaks up, it has to be something where you can check back in with them and say, we heard you, it was investigated, here's the result, so that there's so that people don't try to solve it themselves in whispers and corners so that it's in the sunlight. Well, that's great. Those are structural things that are very black and white, easy to do in policy and reaction, things like that. Can I add two things real quick? One is, well, I agree having more diversity regardless of what aspect of identity we're talking about. What I've experienced is, let's say, to your example, just because someone is female doesn't mean that she has not been impacted negatively by rape culture as well. In Chicago, there are strong female leaders who in fact did not believe the survivors who came forward. And it took them a while, but initially they were dismissive. And these are powerful women. Um, I think we need to make sure that everybody is lifted to that same level of understanding the nature of the problem. I think I've, I've been bitten in the butt when I've assumed, oh, that person's a cisgender female. I'm sure she believes everything that I do and been hit in the face with that. Um, and, and second, in terms of investigating, 
if there's a way for theaters and uh, companies to pool their resources so that there's someone with human resource experience, both on a legal sense and also interpersonal, that way there could be sort of an ombudsperson for the community and there would be perhaps less fear in folks reporting because they would have trust that that person wasn't affiliated with any one theater and also had the training and expertise to conduct the kind of kind of investigation that would build confidence that that's a, an impartial and thoughtfully done investigation. Two cents. Excellent. Um, all right, next question. How do you get people to be invested in harassment or presumably harassment prevention when they are those who don't care? How do you make them realize it impacts everyone? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we invited them to a panel and told them they were panelists. <laughs> and then we we gave them uh, like searching questions like examine yourself and how have you been an ally for um, for women in equity and how what have you done to change theater in a positive way and how have you represented these necessary things in these spaces and some of them had these moments where they went oh we didn't so forcing self-reflection by Wait, is that what's happening to us? Because we're all <laughs> <up> down. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I picked up on that, too. Yeah. Uh, Moni, were you about to answer those ones? Yeah, I right. was. Um, so I think I, theater and the arts and comedy, I feel like, are spaces that, like, I don't know how other people make friends, but, like, I make friends in the theater space, right? So it's, it's this communal, like, this is where your people are, all of that. And at the same time, I think that we have to be unafraid to say, like, these are the values of this space. If you can't get with the values of the space, then actually you can't be in this space. And being okay with letting folks go. Um, because if we are really going to be honest about putting people above laughs or putting people above art or whatever it is, then we have to know that, like, I care enough about you that I'm not gonna let this element come into the space just for the sake of some art I'm trying to make. We have to live into an abundance and belief that there are enough talented people that I can let you go and three more people are gonna walk into the room who can do this work. So until we like agree with that, like we, until we're ready to really let folks go, then we're, we're always gonna create spaces that are like fostering and are like, incubating harassment, because like, ooh, but I, I really love working with that person, though. I know that they, but that's that's not okay. That's awesome. just not okay. Awesome, so you're saying, look, we already know they care about the art, we already know they care about the space. If we can make the values inherent to the space, then they will have to care about those values as well. Or go. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, this work is really emotional, and it's taxing on the people who are talking about it. So, like you were saying, like, if people don't care, they don't care. Like, do not waste your breath on the people who don't care. You know, if they don't care and they're not going to budge, I wouldn't waste your time on them necessarily. Work with the people who are going to work with you, and that's where you're going to make a change. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Um, next one. How can we make improv scenes for beginners and veterans alike, more amenable to no comma but when confronting stereotypes, physical discomfort, etc. So instead of yes and culture, how can we create kind of a, an antithesis of that when it comes to respecting human beings? I still think we can work within the yes and structure. Okay. Um, yes and doesn't mean that I'm just going to do whatever you tell me to do. You know, you, um, 
We're not saying no to some. I don't know. I'm it's hard. Yes, I'm mostly yes, but. Like, well, I think that when you're saying yes, you're saying yes to those people. You're, you're giving consent to those people. Mm -hmm. You can take that consent away. That's still saying yes. And also, I mean, we can't create, I, so we just started Improv Noir, which is the all black improv team here. And one of the things I feel so strongly about with my team is that I know I can go out on a limb and like really mind my like racial identity because I trust that they have an understanding or at least if they don't understand like my grandma made grits on Sunday morning, like they have enough of a cultural understanding they're not gonna say or do anything that's gonna be like um, in acutely racially insensitive. One, because we're coming from the same power level and two, because we're coming from the same like cultural space, right? So in order to really say yes and, Honestly, in the same way that I can only consent with you sexually or intimately if I have trust, I can't yes and you if I don't have trust, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can really figure out what our basis for trust is, for comedic trust in a team, in a group, in a space, then I can yes and you because we've already had that conversation before the show started. Yeah. The biggest pushback I get when we have boundaries discussions is people will say, I don't want to be censored. Mm. You should be able to yes and anything. And I say to those people, would I be allowed, in the spirit of yes and, to strangle you to death on stage for real? <laughs> why or why not? And then let's walk backwards from there. <laughs> and see what the exact line is. And thank you so much, Gail, for introducing me to the idea of moral versus conventional. Because morals say, I can't strangle you to death. What else should morals say I can't do? I don't have to yes and you if you're strangling me. If the theater is on fire and you're pretending we're, we're in a swimming pool, I get to leave the theater. <laughs> so where is, yeah, let's walk back from there. Regulation, there's an answer. <laughs> I support uh, it. All right. Uh, what would you do as a class participant of a, um, uh, this is a little hard to read, um, with a, if, if a person in class continues to make uh, almost every female in a scene either a slut or a whore or some kind of stereotype, like female <laughs> stereotype, uh, and the instructor does not call this person out? Uh, at, well, it's funny because at our theater we've instituted a policy of you have every right to call a timeout and all of your classmates will applaud you. You physically call a timeout, all of your classmates applaud you, and we stop and have a conversation that addresses the behavior. Rather than being a finger wagging, it addresses the behavior and how it made everyone in the room feel mm -hmm. and how we feel about having this kind of work exist in our space. Is this in line with what we're trying to do here? Uh, and then if, if the mood in the room is okay, we just reboot that scene, we roll it back a few steps and go from there, or we let those people have a small break and have two other students participate. But if your teacher hasn't introduced that, it, and I've, I've been introducing that in a superficial way for probably eight years, and it's only been recently that students actually believed me I thought I was introducing it in an actual way, but students didn't call time out in my class until the last two years, when it seemed like not just um, not just fluffed, fluffy talk, nice talk, that I actually sincerely meant, please call time out, and now that exists. Um, if it doesn't exist, I would make it exist, but, but you know what's funny? People keep saying, I, like, I will stop a scene now that I'm participating in, and I will call time out on it, and people have tried to push back on me and say, well, that's because you're an experienced 
improviser who has a lot of respect. That someone on another, well, on another panel, and someone was like, well, that's because you're Jill Bernard. And I say to them, well, no, I was always Jill Bernard, and that's how I got to be Jill Bernard. <laughs> I did this year one, and I'm doing it year 25. So I've always been this way. The fear, of course, is that you'll be rejected by your classmates. You'll be considered not game, not fun, not the person who goes along with it. With it. Um, but I think it's the right time. I think if you call out time out on the scene right now, everyone would sincerely be ready to talk to you about it and be sincere about it. If you don't feel calling, comfortable calling time out, you can always talk to your teacher after class. Who hired your teacher? You can talk to that person. Um, you could write me a Facebook message. <laughs> um, I will go to bat for you anonymously from the other side of the country. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could, if there's not a culture of calling time out, you could definitely invest in, uh, start it in this moment. Can I add something to that too? Because I think what's important about the timeout method that you just described is that everyone in the room has to say how they feel because we can't keep relying on the person who's experiencing the harm mm -hmm. to be the person to call it out. Mm -hmm. That's really harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not it's not their problem. Right. It's our it, problem. Right. Right. Nice. Excellent. All right. Um, next one. This is kind of a, a kind of a statement, um, but then I'm just going to ask for some feedback to that statement. As a beginning improviser who is female-bodied, female-identified, I found it really difficult to figure out what was legitimate criticism and what's influenced by sexism. Feedback like speaking louder or being bolder and so on at times has made me feel like the art form didn't have room for femme or more subdued folks. Uh, starting to find a voice now, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on this general concept. Hmm. <laughs> Did you do a workshop on this like yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> a really funny thing happened several years ago, a bunch of years ago now. I don't, we'd have to look it up. Um, Amy Seaham wrote a book called Who's Improv Is It Anyway? Yeah? Um, and it addressed some of the problems that women improvisers have. But the, uh, the funny part, and I find, I'm dark too, I find weird things funny. Um, the funny part for me is, uh, some of the problems women improvisers have are also the problems that bad improvisers have. So how do you know if you're having these problems because you're bad at improv? Exactly what this, what this person wrote. How do you know? I mean, if the audience can't hear you, yes, you have to physically speak up, right? If you're not, if you're not facing the audience, that's something. Um, I, I think it absolutely goes back to what you said, Monet, about trust. Do you trust your teacher? Mm -hmm. Do you trust that the, the advice they're giving you comes from a, an artistic place? And if you don't, uh, that's a bad class for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anybody else have questions? I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think what the person wrote is um, spot on, and I think it's getting criticism is difficult period full stop but also when we're in spaces and we have power I think it's really important for us to name the things that are invisible so if you know that you're in a space and there's a teacher and the teacher say is a white cisgender man and you are a black queer woman, I think it's important for us to say like, there are things that maybe you understand that I don't understand and things that maybe the ways you're gonna say something may come off differently to me. And, and 
I know that's like, well, why, why do we say that? Or maybe that feels like cumbersome or like similar to your boundaries conversation. But if we can name it, then that means that when it comes up, we've already named it. We've already gotten over the hump and here we are, right? Because I've already, I've already said like, there's some things that you might comment on and I'm gonna push back on because we're coming from a different place culturally. And it's not, we have that understanding between each other, which then engenders more trust. And then I can, yes, and you when you're giving me criticism because I've already, we've already had that. And so I think, um, this is, so I do racial equity work and then we always talk about naming the thing that's invisible, right? So we talk about HBCUs, but we don't call like white schools PWI, like we don't call them white schools, right? <laughs> we're like, you know what I'm saying? Like we always name the thing, we don't, we don't name everything. So because we're not naming the things, we're moving through the world with assumptions and ideas about things that are not clear. And that's how you create like power and that's how you, that's how power is able to hold itself, right? In the unnamed. And when power holds itself then you have assault, you have issues, you have all these different things that come up because they move in silence, like the G in lasagna. <laughs> um, so, sorry, I just, I just needed to shout out Little Wayne really quickly. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, how I, that's how I feel about that. Would you mind if I built on that too? I think that comment, very, the comment that you read powerfully illustrates what it's like to be any kind of minority in a majority space where you're so unsure about, am I reacting to this because of this other thing? Is it me? And that's such a disinhibitor to speak up because you're so afraid of looking stupid or vulnerable. And that when people ask how and why is there a problem in the community, part of it is you have a minority group of people, regardless of which, again, intersection of minority group they inhabit, and we obviously have multiple layers. Um, that are intimidated by a certain group and style being considered the norm mm -hmm. and not seeing a place for themselves in it because they do not look like that norm, they haven't been trained like that norm, and there isn't space to challenge that norm. Comedy is a place where you have to, we hear trust over and over on this panel, you have to feel safe failing because you're not going to get better <laughs> if you don't fail. I had a comedy instructor who once made us get out on stage and, and die for two minutes to feel how it felt like so we could know when it was happening and fix it. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. But one thing that women are taught is that we're not allowed to fail. Because if we fail in a place where it's just us, where, for example, I was the only woman on my comedy improv team in college. If I failed, I didn't just fail me, Ashley Popio. I, I was proving, again, that women aren't funny. And so creating a place where it's safe to fail mm -hmm. and having failure not being associated with you You're being a woman mm -hmm. is important in a comedic space and theater too. Um, I had the yes, honor last semester to teach uh, the women trans femme non-binary class at Huge Theater, which we've now had three sessions of, 10 week wow. sessions. And this was a space where I had 15 students who identified as women trans femme or non-binary. Mm -hmm. And that space is completely different. I also, at the same time, taught a one-on-one class that was just general population. And the space that we created together um, was so safe and secure. And I, we all felt trust with one another. I felt like I was on an even playing field with my students, and I, I hope that they felt also on an even playing field with me. And um, that, was, that was a really great experience, and I would hope that um, people could learn improv and have the opportunity to learn improv in that in that way, like with the group of people that you identify with and and no one else is there, right? <laughs> it was great. Yeah, super <laughs> Thanks, great. Jill. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs>
We had a room. Um, <laughs> all right. So next up, can you guys please talk about uh, talk about uh, call out culture, especially with respect to social media, hmm. and what steps can be taken uh, first, kind of before a public call out is necessary. So how can problems be dealt with by a community so that the community can remain? So, <laughs> my question to that question is, and not to the person, but really to the question, is are we creating spaces and opportunities for folks to, if I come to you and I tell you this happened, how will you hold it? Or if I come to your theater and I tell you this thing happened to me, how will you handle it? So if, if I don't get a response or I don't, if there's no place in my community where I feel safe enough to deal with these things before I go to the internet or before it becomes this thing online, then you're gonna keep getting call out culture because you ha we haven't created a safe enough space for me to explore it in a way that feels communal and right and held and accountable. So then I'm gonna go to the internet because there I have the power, right? And so until we create those things, we're gonna keep having call out culture. Now at the same time, I feel like we, we shouldn't weaponize anything. Like, let's try not to weaponize things. But sometimes you need a weapon. Because sometimes the hammer doesn't work. Sometimes, like, the other tools you have don't work. And you need to make it a sword. Like, sometimes that's just what it is. Um, and I think the question is, once it becomes that, like, public sphere, how do the rest of the people around it, how do, how do we engage? Because it's not the person who starts it that's creating the call-out culture. It's often, like, the mob mentality that happens around it. Um, so. It's easy to point out, well, you said the thing, like, well, you, you joined in. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe I'm not really making sense. No, you're making uh, perfect sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. And whenever I see a, a call out that I feel the, my blood heat to rise, I have to stop myself and say, is this your torch? Is this your pitchfork? Right? Is this the one you're gonna go to battle for? And I think it relates to punching up and punching down. Um, if, if, they're, if, you're, if, if, if a person's being called out who's just an average powerless person who made a mistake, you know, a nine-year-old girl, a nine-year-old white girl who wore cornrows in her Instagram photo, I don't need to attack her. Um, I don't need to join in the, the mob. Uh, but uh, you're absolutely right. If there's no whistleblow whistleblower policy in place, uh, and if there's, no, if there's no sequence of reporting, especially anonymous reporting, uh, there doesn't seem to be another avenue. Yeah, and I think there seems to be a difference between, you know, I don't want to conflate the two fully, but like a difference between this kind of let's gang up on somebody via social media and let's use social media because that's the only platform I feel like I have left mm -hmm. because I don't have trust in any of those other systems. And I think those are two very distinct things in a lot of respects. I think uh, for Fair Play, we have um, kind of like tiers, so you can talk to the leadership team, um, but we also have like a private Facebook group that people can also just comment in, because sometimes it's just that need to like, I have something inside me that I need to get out, and I just need someone to hear me. And we have that private group so that people can share public, you know, in a pu public sense their concern or what they're feeling, and not have to post it to like their general Facebook page or, you know, so there's, there's options for them. Um, and that's for that's for our safety, you know. Yeah. I have to give incredible credit to the improv community here in the Triangle because the the improv world saw what happened, and everything that was written here, everything that was shared from here, was so thoughtful 
and so well and fairly constructed. This my my boyfriend's kind of blundering, and he he did turn to me and said, you know, if if I ever do something horrible, I hope it gets written up like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> good job. Like I was like, well, don't do anything horrible. <laughs> but uh, really beautifully done. It it wasn't an ugly mob. It was people saying what had to be said, what hadn't be sa- had not been said, and doing it with with integrity and and courage and and consideration at all at all steps of the process. So give yourselves a round of applause. What is the best day, way to deal with inappropriate behavior, be it sexist, racist, overly controlling behavior? So if, if one knows a male colleague or any, any gendered colleague uh, is exhibiting these behaviors, what responsibility do those who have been affected by or taken advantage have of have to the rest of the community? Can you read the last part of that sentence? Yeah, one, one more. Yeah. <laughs> so if one knows a colleague who is exhibiting sexist, racist, any kind of that isms behavior, what responsibility do those who have been affected by or taken advantage of have to the rest of the community? I think that's the crux of the question. Hmm. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, I'll tag on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, so I think, um, honestly, it feels a little bit unfair to put the onus on the person who, who's experienced the harm. Mm-hmm. Because harm never happens in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like even if the person doesn't know exactly what happened, they've seen other behaviors from the person who's usually committing the harm to say something's not right here. Or something about this person makes me uncomfortable. Or I saw them say something or touch someone or like come up and it didn't make me feel right. And yet when the thing comes out or when the person who's experienced the harm when the harm has been unveiled, it's like, well, if you knew it was happening, if it happened to you, why didn't you say anything? You could have, like, no, 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 mm-hmm. no. Because, like, the person who's experienced the harm, their job is to, to heal mm-hmm. and to take care of themselves. And they, we cannot, I feel like it goes back to what you were saying about culture. We all see it. Like, we know the people who were, like, acting in ways that are inappropriate, and yet, if we choose not to say anything, then we need to ask ourselves, like, why didn't I say anything about that? Why didn't I do anything about that? Because I saw it, you know? So I think we just have to be really, really careful about putting the onus of accountability on the survivor of assault or harm or harassment. I want to yes and you, because uh, it's, it's runs a, First, I want to acknowledge that it makes sense to me why that question would be asked, and we hear it a lot, because it's our way of trying to figure out how could we gain control. And it makes logical sense, like, well, the person closest to the problem, wouldn't they be the ones to do that? But sadly, it runs very close to blaming the victim and making, again, another to reiterate what you were saying, it makes the victim responsible for the cultural change. and. In addition to healing, that person may not feel like they have the agency to do that. Um, It all goes back to multiple points that have been made here where the community needs to take action and support and and not put that burden just on the vulnerable, or even even just on the vulnerable. I I don't think that's where the burden goes. I think what we do is we reach out to the survivor and we say, what would you like, uh, how would you like us to support you? These are the things that we can do. Whatever you choose to do is up to you, and then we'll do our work on our side on these folks that are not supporting you or interrupting the fair play that's going on. But 
again, I understand where it comes from, but we can't put that burden on a victim. Well, and it's worth noting too that I, I would I would venture that most of the time the survivor has already asked that of themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are we answer this kind of from the third person, but in, in reality, they're probably already kind of racking their brain, mm -hmm. saying, "Where is my responsibility in this?" and not focusing on like actually my responsibility is to heal. And if I need to use a resource, awesome. If that's public or private, awesome, whatever works. But knowing that that person's already been through that generally. Well, it's such a, so when I used to work with survivors, uh, you're always, you're, you have mixed emotions because part of you is like, the person who raped you is a serial predator. I would love for that serial predator to go to jail. But my first responsibility is no harm to the survivor. I can't say, you know, you have to report this or they'll keep going free because that's unethical for me to do. It makes sense for me to want it, but that's not my job. My job is to say, you know, these are the options. And yes, sometimes that means that bad guys go free, but that also is why we shouldn't put the sole burden on the survivor. It's why the community has to be accountable. Um, and that burden of people might die if you don't do this, hmm. that is an insane amount of pressure to put on a, a vulnerable human being. And I would say that's one of the amazing things that Fair Play, Gubby, the, the organization Gubby is part of, has done. Um, they collect, they have an email address that anyone can write to them, and then they, they collect that information. So, they, and they always, like you said already, they always ask the person making the report, what do you, what do you want step two to be? Hmm. So no one's forced to be part of anything that they, that they're not ready for or don't want to be part of. And because Fair Play's independent, mm -hmm. uh, it's not as scary as reporting to someone who might decide your improv career from this point. Mm -hmm. And also they're able to give a broader view. Uh, sometimes when, they, when they've given us a report on, a, on an individual, it's included various sources because it is a, someone who's a serial offender. There's, there's various sources, so we're not, we don't have just one data point. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't feel like you could tell the whole story, it might be enough to give one, one small link of a chain. Mm -hmm. And if there's an organization that can put those links together, how incredibly, how incredibly lucky that, and wonderful it's been, as exhausting as it's been for, for the people on the Fair Play uh, committee. It's been it's a, a great value to the committee to the community. Yeah, we really focus our advocacy on on the people who uh, on the on the victims and survivors of of harassment and, and abuse. So that's where we're coming from. When we talk to theaters, they're usually, you know, they want to protect the art that's happening, want to protect performers because that's the role of theaters in you know in general. So it it really to have then we can have a conversation because there's somebody on there's somebody advocating for each other you know or, or not advocating or what you know but we can have a conversation and and the person who has been victimized can can be can be advocated for through us yeah or having like an hr that would be great cuz then somebody could get paid to do it yeah <laughs> and have training and stuff professional training so Excellent. All right, I, I got a couple more note cards left, but I wanted to kind of open it up if anybody has thought of any additional questions or didn't see the note card. Yeah.
but instead what you were getting was what men thought that women thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had to, but otherwise they... Otherwise they wouldn't have had a job. Yeah. Sure. Um, if we were a class, and this was the first day of class, I would say, um, you know what? Uh, because we don't know each other and we're just working together for the first time and we're not a team that, has, that, that works together normally, we'd like to go ahead and set some boundaries that we'll operate under for the duration of the class. Um, some physical boundaries are uh, please no slaps or, or actual physical violence or kisses. Uh, let's limit our physical contact to hugs and handshakes. If, the, if someone does come at you with physical touch that you do not want, you're welcome to, to cross your arms like this, which will be our agreed upon signal to stop what you're doing physically. In terms of content, um, we are not gonna do any scenes that are about racism, sexism, or that make fun of, of disability, sexual orientation, pedophilia, rape. Uh, it, Improv can be about anything, but it's best if it's agreed upon and so for, and practiced and rehearsed. So for this class, these are the ground rules that we're gonna set. Now let's go around the room and give me a thumbs up about something that you're excited for us to work on in this class. And then give we'll do a thumbs down for anything that you'd like to add in terms of boundaries that you need on top of the boundaries we've set. For example, oh, I have a bad knee. I'm not gonna do any kneeling on the floor or hey, uh, my best friend was just in a car accident. Could we skip scenes about car accidents for today? And that's the first night of class. And then every class after that, we just we do a thumbs up, thumbs down at the beginning to check in on where we are in terms of our boundaries because boundaries change. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of class, we we circle up again and, and we say, does anything? Does anyone have anything they want to talk about that happened today that you'd like to? to address any any pros or cons, anything we should we should decompress about. And it very easily becomes a habit in class. It's like great sex though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not being glib. It's about establishing that boundary again, because boundaries can shift, you know, like what are you up for, respecting your partner and communicating the whole way. I mean that's when it gets good. Um, and <laughs> I'm not blowing the lid off of sex here. Um, <laughs> can I borrow your pen? Is this <laughs> All right, here's what I'm saying. Chill. Um, but I, again, when we take a look at, it's again, it's about am I using you so I can get off is very similar to am I using you to get my laugh. 
It's both about seeing the other person as your tool to get what you need and want without thinking of themselves as a fully formed human being and that it's relational. And, and that's where they, I think I see that in common. And I just think too it's important in those conversations to continue having them even if folks don't enter in fully the first mm -hmm. several times. Because sometimes it's really difficult to even imagine that you can ask for something. Like, oh, I can ask to not do certain things. So because we live in a world where folks are so used to being like, um, you know, just run over, whether it's like uh, misogynistic or it's racist or it's queerphobic or whatever it is, to even like have to stop and think like, oh wait, I can ask for you not to do that. It's really <laughs> revolutionary and takes mm -hmm. folks some time and some imagining sometimes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. this is also a weird thing to say on the first night of class when no one has done any improv. <laughs> for a minute, there's a panic on everyone's face. They're like, wait, what's gonna happen in this <laughs> That we're having this talk. So yeah, we yeah. might have to check in on week four. Uh, they might they might have said nothing weeks one through three, but week four, some scenes have happened, and they're like, "Hey, I see a lot of scenes that make fun of religion. Could we take that off the table because this this is hurting me?" And then we say, "Yes, of course we can." Nothing's off limits, including feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and can I, I offer some? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So when we we wouldn't be able to do our program if we didn't joke about very controversial, potentially inflammatory things. And this, this, the distinction that we make is we never make fun of rape. We make fun of a culture that cosigns on rape or that endorses predation, where for us it's finding the way to use humor to foster a, oh my God, I can't believe that is what we take for granted and what we endorse whether consciously or subconsciously. I still want to go after that. Like I would, so when you're talking about racism, I would totally go for something that made fun of people who don't understand their racist tendencies or their privilege in order to show that disconnect as opposed to being racist in a scene. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, how do you make that distinction? I get at the early part of a, a class where you're not trusting people's cultural vocabularies, intentions, I mean, you don't want to go, all right, everybody, racial satire. I'll give you a location. You know, like that. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not endorsing that. <laughs> but how do you teach people how to use the subversive component in a respectful and responsible way without saying all of this stuff is just off limits because there's a potential for misuse? Our current program is only 40 weeks long. So 40? 40, 40, like we do four levels of classes. They're each 10 weeks long. Okay. So you can graduate from our program and consider yourself an advanced improviser, but you're living a lie. <laughs> <laughs> You've been improvising less than a year. You've been improvising less than a year. In terms of your comedy chops, you're not there yet. Uh, some people came in because of their, what I like to think about is not all beginners start at the same line. Mm -hmm. Right, like there are some people who are, have a theater background, so I'm sure you had a tremendous advantage coming into improv because you already know how theater and stories work. Um, other other improvisers start from further back, so there might be beginning improvisers who are ready to talk about tough topics. But I would rather save it mm -hmm. until you've consciously formed a team, and these teams do form. We're going to consciously form a team, and one of our goals is to do really subversive comedy that's our that's our goal that's we i want to do it with intentionality mm -hmm. i don't want to just put a gun in your hands week five and send you out into the <laughs> woods right let's be intentional 
let's do it with purpose. And I've been improvising since 1993. We didn't do it with purpose when I started, right? We, were, we, we did whatever and we didn't think anything about it. We, we didn't know how to take care of ourselves. Uh, we didn't know how to take care of each other. Uh, and, and that's happening now. I, so I can't answer all of it because I am a dinosaur, <laughs> and I was I was I was raised in the wild west of improv days. Uh, but I would rather it be intentional. And I don't. It doesn't need to be in our basic level classes. They're basic level for a reason. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I think just kind of last set of questions here. Um, knowing that many people in this community are dealing with a situation where power and control were abused. What suggestions do you have to help safeguard it from happening again? So, kind of what are best practices for making a safer community? And then I want to follow up that with, if you have seen great examples of that, or if you can think of an example of, of something that would be kind of a good, I don't know, encouragement to, to add that as well. I'm not from here. I was hoping so. A local would say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a battle we're still fighting that we're still fighting tooth and nail. We haven't won our battle yet. So I, I, I'd, be, I'd be telling you things from inside the glass. I'd, I'd love to hear from someone who escaped. <laughs> I think, too, um, I think we need... I know like it's really cliche around like safe spaces, but I think they're actually really real. I think sometimes we need space to create um, where we can ex really explore some things. I'm like, okay, this is what we learned here and this safe space was similar to the training that you did. Like, oh, and this is what we learned and I, we wanna bring more of these practices to our general population. I think that's helpful um, because we're not all the same place. Like even listen to the conversation about like racial satire in class, I was like, ooh, that's just scary. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, <laughs> cause, even as, Cause even as an audience member, I think it's just like, just the like, oh, I have to sit in here and like just hope that like everyone is on their P's and Q's around language today. Or as a, someone as a survivor of sexual assault, I just have to hope that everyone is on their P's and Q's today. Like that's just, it's so many things to always be on guard about that I think it's, it's frightening. So at least if there sometimes are spaces that are like, we're not trying to be exclusive, but we need to, we need to workshop some things. We need to lab some things so mm -hmm. that we can then bring them into general practice and being um, unapologetic about that and just being okay like we just need to be by ourselves for a little bit and create some art <laughs> I guess that's yeah. what we're doing too actually yeah. we hosted a workshop that your mother attended actually yeah, she did <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hi, that was letting women be in a scene shop building um, scenery and welding things and every single woman in that workshop looked around them and went whoa we've actually we've never been in a position where we were all women in a scene shop before mm -hmm. And we were able to relax in a way that we are not able to relax when we're being watched, when we're on our best behavior, <laughs> when we're preventing ourselves from failing and therefore failing women as a culture in a way that we'd never been able to relax before. So creating safe spaces is important. Yeah, at HUGE, um, there's monthly jams, like once a month for different groups. There's a, a queer jam, a POC jam, and an over 40 jam, right? And those are led by people who identify as that. So it's, it's really powerful. And, and just the, that's like a tangible thing that people show, people show up. People want to do that. People want to be in that space. And then, like, 
side things happen, strange like side intersections occur. Like having a POC jam suddenly brings in people who are older and younger and disabled and from other disciplines, poets uh, and, and rappers are showing up at our theater now. Uh, having a queer jam brings in um, yeah, all different kind of people who never would have found, found a space in improv before. So giving people their own space is something we know that works. Honestly, I, because I was so surprised by the, but I, what I'm saying is I don't know what I'm blind to right now. So I can't say, we fixed it in Minneapolis. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we brought you. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Um, I don't, I, I know we that I am, I know that I am personally problematic. <laughs> I know I am problematic. Uh, I can't say I'm a perfect ally because I have big spots in which I personally am problematic. And I know that the organization that I co-founded, Huge Theater, is problematic. And I know that the other organizations I'm part of, comedy sports, problematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I'm, I, I'm not gonna say I know how to do it best. I also think, mm -hmm. I, I was excited to come here this weekend because I didn't know what I would find. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't know if it, if, if it would just be ruins, right? Um, ruins of an improv scene, but it's not ruins of an improv scene. I've been so inspired by the, the people I've talked to this weekend, the organizations I never heard about before. There's improv groups that I never heard of that have been going for, for a while, for a long time, uh, for, you know, for a year or more that I didn't know about. Uh, uh, you're ready to do the work. You're sincere about the work. You're collecting best practices already. So I, I can't promise that it's going to be smooth sailing. Um, but I guess the best advice I have is um, check yourself <laughs> um, and, and start finding partners that matter because you don't have the answers or you we would have done it right the first time. So find find the partners that are ready to speak truth to you, um, yeah. I, I and and it makes everything easier, as hard as it is. Yeah, and I mean I would argue that from what I've heard you guys say today, it seems like although there's no perfect answer, creating structures that give people voice, you know, be it be it setting up ground rules at the beginning, be it hiring and working with people who are of a diverse set of experiences be it setting up uh, an anonymous group that can take some of these reports and do something with them, and then also creating trust in spaces, whether that's trust to speak up or trust to be wrong or trust to experiment. Like those, those are the two things that seem to kind of be coming out as something that's going to help kind of drive these solutions as we look for them. Yeah. Anybody else have anything to add? I just, I just say like, uh, I really like the whole like, Got your back thing. I just learned that recently. I really like it. Um, so I just want to say, like, let's let's live into that. So if we're gonna say it, then that also means that, like, if I'm experiencing some harm, that you as my teammate, you as my fellow improviser, that 
you're not gonna let me experience that by myself. Like, it can't just be I got your back on stage. Like, I also need for you to come to bat for me. And I'm definitely gonna challenge the folks who are in power in a situation. So whether that's you are a white person and there's people of color, or whether it's like you're a male-identified person and there's femme-identified folks. Like, if you are the person in power in the situation, I am charging you to like step up and figure out a way to be a part of the solution. So whether that looks like, hey, I saw what I think I saw what happened. Do you want to talk about it? What do you need? Like that is. Even if the other person says, like, I think I'm good, but now I know something else comes up, I, I know I can come to you. And, and so that I don't have to suffer by myself, I don't have to experience this harm by myself. So let's just live until the, like, we got your back. Yeah. And if you're a person in power, as I am at our own company, a big thing is to admit when you're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciated what you just said, Jill, about there's, you know, we all have our blind spots, and they're called blind spots because we don't know that we have them and it is so hard to feel like you have messed up or done something however unintentionally that conflicts with your stated values and who you believe yourself to be okay. the biggest gift you can give someone who shares their authentic experience and if that and your their authentic experience is you messed up is to go I'm really sorry didn't mean to do it how do I make this better and and that means being not only generous with them but generous with yourself it's a moment in time and you can be big and that's, that is a good use of having power. Mm -hmm. I was surprised to find three people from out of town here when I found out the gala was brought here by Ashley Melba. Uh, so I was wondering if, you, if there's other visitors from out of town who tell us, tell us why you're here or how you got to be here. Um, I've been traveling for improv for years. I first came to do improv in Raleigh in 1997. Uh, we had a, a wonderful visit, got food poisoning, I'll never forget it. Um, and I, I don't know how many times I've been back to Chapel Hill. Uh, how would we count, Kit? I don't know. But it's been, a, it's been many times, maybe six times. Uh, the, the, the improv community is very close-knit nationally and worldwide. We find each other. It is like a family, which is why it hurts so much when something like this happens because we are family and we do have each other's back. So I'm here because I couldn't not be. Um, I'm here because Medelson, Medelsome, sorry, <laughs> reached out to jail and she, she said something about fair play too and because we've worked together and, and we've built it. We've tried to build community awareness together. I think we've been good partners, so. And, and they ask fair play at, like, there's a leadership team with, with um, that I'm with five other people, so. I was the one who could go, because I'm a teacher, and so I'm off right now. So, <laughs> fair play has some great documents. Um, the website is fairplaymn.wordpress.com, and they've got all the documents of, like identifying the problems in your community. You guys wrote uh, about boundaries, mm -hmm. um, about a lot of things that are very useful. Yeah, we have uh, taking stock where we have like looked at numbers of like who's who's showing up for the festivals and things like that. So yeah, that's why I'm here. Oh. Yeah. All right, can we do one more round of applause for these folks?
there's some information outside uh, for the Durham Crisis Response Center and the Orange County Rape Crisis Center. Take it. Make